And Judges chapter 8, beginning at verse 22 down to the end, verse 35. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also. For you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So they answered, we will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment and each man threw into it the earrings from his plunder. Now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the chains that were around their camels' necks. Then Gideon made it into an ephod and set it up in his city, Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot there with it. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted their heads no more. And the country was quiet for forty years in the days of Gideon. Then Jeroboam, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. Gideon had seventy sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. Now Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, in Ophrah of the Bazarites. So it was as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the bells and made Baal-bereth their God. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of their enemies on every side. Nor did they show kindness to the house of Jeroboam, Gideon, in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. There is God's holy word that abides forever, and may he Bless it to our hearts this night. Well, you can see from the bulletin that the title of this message is The Heart is a Factory of Idols. That is a phrase that comes from John Calvin, who wrote in his first book of the Institutes, his famous book uh, that he wrote uh, to the King of France, urging him uh, to consider Uh, the reformation of the church in in a positive way. way. Uh, The fuller context of that is Calvin talking about the natural tendency of man's heart to make idols out of everything. And here's uh, the actual quote from the Institutes. John Calvin wrote, Man's nature or man's heart is a perpetual factory of idols. 
It means it's always, always making idols, whether you realize it or not. And there, there's something that's humbling for us. A perpetual factory of idols. Man's mind, full as it is of pride and boldness, dares to imagine a God according to its own capacity. And, and whether we want to acknowledge it or not, and some of us have, have really grown in our Christian life that uh, it's not as uh, severe a problem as it used to be in our life, but whether we want to admit it or not, this is something that we as Christians struggle with as well. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, Pastor... You don't know me. I don't struggle with idols. Well, you know, Gideon was a man of faith. Gideon was a man whom God listed in his word as a man of faith. Held him up in esteem as one who did believe his God and so became an inheritor of the promises of God. And here we read, after great and bold and miraculous deliverance from the hand of Midian. Idolatry creeping back into his life, the latter years of his life. It is always something that we wrestle with. Israel wrestled with it. This is the continual evil that we read of in this book when God says, and Israel once again committed evil against the Lord their God. What was that God? It was, I mean, what was that evil? It was their idolatry. And they kept falling back to it. And you would think that even up to this point, that Israel would have learned their lesson about God's judgment against their constant, perpetual falling back into idolatry. And all the hardship that they experienced at the hand of the enemy nations that were around them. Their experience with Midian. I mean, Midian's oppression upon them, upon them was, was so heavy. They were fearful, hiding in a wine press so that you wouldn't lose the food you're preparing for your house. That kind of oppression. You would think that they would have learned their lesson about idolatry at this point. And yet so soon after a great victory by the hand of the Lord, what do we see Gideon doing? We see him starting down that trail of idolatry by making this effort and becoming the one responsible for leading Israel into their next bout of evil in idolatry. And isn't that what we read in verses 27 and onward? Turn my page too much, sorry. Verse 27, and all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. And not that we're picking on Gideon. If you were to read First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you would see that many of the good, godly kings of Judah fell into that same trap, that same snare. Solomon, 20 years of 
building, 20 years of ministry, 20 years of bringing forth that temple and, and setting in order a, a, a glorious festival of worship for God. And that incredible prayer that takes up all of 1 Kings 8 and the glory of God coming down into that temple and filling it before the eyes of Israel and they could all see it and they were forced out and beyond the parameters of the temple because the glory of God had descended in their midst. Became one of the kings that built many temples to the foreign gods of his wives. Hezekiah, another good king, brought forth a great reformation in Israel's life at a time when the most wicked king of Judah at, up to that point, his father, had brought so much idolatry into the temple itself that it took them two weeks just to carry out all the statues and everything. And this isn't a, a huge house. And he did so much to bring Israel back on track with God. It was, it was like the Reformation happening within the life of Israel. And then he gets sick and he prays to God, please don't end my life. Consider all that I have done for you, God. And God heals him and adds 15 years to his life. And when Babylon heard that Hezekiah had been miraculously healed and that the Assyrian army that was up against his wall was just incredibly defeated by the hand of God, they came looking to see what is it about Judah and Hezekiah that enabled this tiny little country to destroy Assyria. And God knew something was up there in 2 Chronicles 32-31. Hezekiah welcomed that Babylonian uh, envoy that came to, to meet with him. And it says there, listen to these words. If this doesn't frighten you. God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to test him in order that God might know what was in his heart. And in the pride of his heart, go back to Calvin's quote, man's mind, full as it is of pride and boldness, dares to imagine a God according to its own capacity. Hezekiah, and you've got to read into the lines there. Hezekiah made some kind of agreement with Babylon that they would be friends. And because of what Hezekiah did in welcoming and courting the Babylonian envoy, God said, you don't trust me anymore. The kingdom's going to come to nothing. You could look at others. Josiah, again, started out well, but fell short in the end of being faithful in the face of idolatry. It's a recurring issue with our hearts. But the thing that we have to see here in the life of Gideon is that this idolatry is not something that just all of a sudden happens. 
You know, we don't simply fall into it. We don't wake up one day and say, I think I will build an ephod that will uh, be my own shrine and I'll just start worshiping God here. This idolatry, and what is idolatry? It, it, it of, course, of, of course, is a first commandment violation, but idolatry is exchanging and forgetting God for another deity. You think about that, and that's what Israel is blamed with here at the very end here where it says in verse 34, Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God. They exchanged him for another deity. But it didn't just happen. For Gideon, it began with pride, as it usually does for most of us. Pride and superstition. And in some ways you can say, well, he really actually did not forget God. But he did set up his shrine. He bowed down and worshipped God through it. And by his actions and in his leadership position, he gave occasion for Israel to commit spiritual adultery, harlotry. That's what God charges them with. Do you see where this idolatry began? And and I would submit to you as you read this chapter, you will see that the chief sign of idolatry, especially within the life of a church, and yes, in the life of Christians, begins when we decline in our regard for true and spiritual worship. How we want to worship God. How we treat or add to or take away from or look for novel ways of worshiping God. That's usually where the seeds of it begin. Because you know what is difficult for us is to stick with how God has prescribed our worship to be And when we see other things happening in other ways that seem more appealing and more exciting and more vibrant, we equate the vibrancy of the heart with good worship. It's exciting. And it takes us down a path where we begin to exchange how God is to be worshipped in spirit and truth with the things of this world. Many churches, many Christians fall into this same pattern of idolatry. And it's it's not simply just about the, the way music is done. That tends to be our greatest focus. It's looking at and seeing what is taken out of worship. Or what gets added to it. To ask, is is this what God wants? Not what I like. But is this first and foremost what God has called us to do as we seek and worship Him? Gideon would have known that second commandment with all clarity. You shall not set up any images by which I am worshipped. You shall not bow down to them nor worship them. 
Because God is a jealous God. He's jealous for his glory. If you think that you can put the glory of God into some inanimate object, then you don't know God. <laughs> you look at much worship. Uh, I, I stress that when we, we started uh, our service tonight about the confession of faith. Why do we do that? Because God tells us to make our good confession before man. Something even as innocuous as that in our minds. How much is that missing in many churches? But again, that's not something that just came upon Gideon. How did he get to this point where he thought it was a great idea to create this effort and put it in his house and entreat all the other Israelites around him to come and use it to worship God? Well, I think there's a bit of a pattern here that can help guard us. And one of the things that leads to this is when our pride gets filled with success. Gideon here had a very successful experience. He was a judge, not a king, and he knew that. He knew the difference. He was a man anointed by the Spirit to deliver Israel out of the hand of Midian. As a judge, he was to represent that greater deliverance that would come through Jesus Christ. But as a judge, he was also called to uphold the law of God in Israel, to lead Israel in faithful, godly worship. And he was, he was in that position to be a heavy influence over the whole of the nation. But with success, and you see it there in verse 22, with success, he fast became, first of all, an idol in the people's eyes. You think about that. My friends, to any of us, success coupled with the flattery of people is a very dangerous combination. It usually happens as we look to the man more than what he is saying. How many times in churches do men get elevated to the position that they can do no wrong in the eyes of the people? I shared a little TikTok video this afternoon in our home. And I'll put it, because it's out there on TikTok. Stephen Furtick. How many of you have heard of him? Wow. He stood before his people and he said, you know, Jesus couldn't do many works in Nazareth because of the unbelieving hearts of the people there. And you know what that teaches us? It teaches us that there is something that Jesus can't do. Jesus can't override your unbelief. You think, Pastor, what's so wrong with that? So my unbelief is greater than the power of the Spirit to conquer and bring me to Christ. It's a lie. That's only a small example of some of the strange things that have been said. But what did the people do? Thousands of people before. 
They clapped and applauded. How do you get to that place? Success and flattery. <laughs> A dangerous combination. And, and here, with that, it worked on Gideon. You see him here with a very disingenuous humility exercised in the light of it. As the men come to him, verse 22, and they say, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson. We want a dynasty kingship now. Make, and, and it would come up in Israel in 1 Samuel. Make a, be our king. Make us to be like the nations around us who have a dynasty of kingship. You're successful. God is with you. We will conquer all our enemies. Just come and be our king. And you look at what they say there in verse, at the end of verse 22. For you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. They saw in Gideon greatness. You have delivered us. Do you remember, dear friends, those of you who have been with us in this series on Gideon. Do you remember what was the Lord's concern? Why he took a 32,000 Israelite army and brought them down to 300 men. Do you know why God did that? Because with anything more than 300 men, you will brag that you by your own hand have delivered yourself from the hand of Midian. Do you think God was justified in saying that? Of course he was. The people looked at Gideon and said, you have delivered us. And Gideon offers no correction here. He, he, he does affirm the Lord's rule over him. He says, no, I can't be your king. I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. But the flattery is there. You, Gideon, have done this for us. And even though he affirms the rule of the Lord, what you read as you go on in this section, getting down to verse 30 and 31, you see that Gideon lived like a king, acted like a king. He may have denied wanting that office, but he took it anyways. Many wives, 70 sons. What did he call the son of his concubine? Abimelech. Do you know what that means in Hebrew? I mean, what it means in English? My father is king. <laughs> he may have denied the office of kingship, but he certainly viewed himself as a king. His actions and his words don't match. <laughs> and, and you see, again, where this success and this flattery began to work in his heart even before Midian had been fully conquered. It brought not only a disingenuous humility, but a misuse of authority. Always regard the way in which authority is exercised. You look back in verses 16 and 17 of this chapter. As Gideon called uh, the nation of Israel to arms and some didn't come alongside to help him. The men, uh, the leaders of Succoth were not willing to join Gideon in the battle against Zeba and Zalmunna. And he comes back and he disciplines them. And as well, uh, the, the people uh, of uh, Penuel 
They also refused, and likewise Gideon pronounced judgment on them, only there he killed all the men. You know, it's one thing to be an agent of deliverance, as Gideon was from the hand of Midian, but it's another thing to take personal vengeance, which he does here too. And you get down to verse 18 to 21, when he has Ziba and Zalmunna, and he asks them, in their oppression of Israel, when they were in Tabor, what kind of men did you kill there? And they answered and said, as you were, each one resembling the son of a king. And Gideon said, they were my brothers. Listen to his language here, verse, verse 19 and 20. Sorry, verse 19. They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had let them live, I would not kill you. And he's saying here is that by the Lord's name, if you kings hadn't killed my brothers, today I would have let you live even after God had said, no, they were to be destroyed. Personal vengeance. When a successful leader makes things personal, instead of maintaining the glory of God, and you, again, you see, that was God's whole intent when he called Gideon. He said, Gideon, I'm, I'm going to bring you down to nothing so that my name will be glorified. I will be recognized as the deliverer. And you, my people, will see that I am God who is for you. Gideon turned it around. Success and flattery. You know, one of the more troubling things we see with success in our day and that elevation of men in the church where in the eyes of many people they can do no wrong is when a successful leader receives opposition or is challenged on certain things that are said or done and they take it personally and do not heed the counsel that's being offered. My friends, those are seeds of idolatry. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're not men of faith. But when we will not receive a disciplining criticism of our labors, there's something wrong. He had trouble with success. He had trouble with popularity. Gideon here... He declines the kingship that the people were willing to establish through his uh, line and descendants. But you get to 24 and knowing that the people held him in such esteem, he makes this request. He says the Midianites who were Ishmaelites, he said they wore golden earrings and they were an army of 135,000 and they had many camels. How about you do this for me? Just give me all their earrings. Now, can you imagine the number of earrings 135,000 men would bring forth? <laughs> Gideon taking advantage of the popularity that he held, he asks for them. What's significant about this? Well, what's significant is what he does with them. And doesn't that remind you of something in Israel's history? 
at the base of Mount Sinai in Exodus 32. Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days and the people are disturbed that maybe God has killed him and what are we doing here at the base of this mountain anyways? Aaron, Aaron, you're his brother. Why don't you lead us and make an idol for us so that we can see our God and so that we ourselves can worship him as we feel. And what did Aaron ask for there? Give me your earrings. <laughs> Just a small thing. You, you give me your earrings right now and it probably wouldn't fill the cup of my hand. But 135,000 of you doing it. Wow. <laughs> That's quite a spread. Not only that, He got the plunder of all the camels and all of the jewelry and fancy apparel that was on them. And you read back in chapter 7, what does it say about the camels? They were more than the locusts of the ground. (laughs) Popularity moved his heart. And he took those earrings and he made a golden ephod, a shrine. He set it up in his hometown And then ensnares the people to seek him out for spiritual guidance. This isn't misuse of authority. This is pretentious authority. The Lord had already ordained that the high priest alone was to wear the ephod in seeking the will of the Lord. And wearing that ephod, the high priest alone would have the names of the tribes of Israel on his shoulders and on his breastplate, sorry, on the breastplate and on his shoulders. And he would be as Christ, representing all of God's people before the throne of God and seeking the will of God for his people. The Lord had ordained that this was to be the way until the coming of Christ. That he would be sought by his people through the one who represented the high priestly work of Jesus Christ himself. No other way. And so for any to think, well, what's an ephod got to do with this? How is this so wrong? They're still seeking God. They're still asking for direction and will from him. It wasn't just disobeying God. It was making another Christ by which the people would seek God. Gideon became the one to whom Israel, at least those Israelites who were far away from the tabernacle, they now would come to him. You know what that's like. This is more convenient. Gideon's more lenient. We don't have all of those rigors to go through to seek God. This is better for us. More of us can do this together. We don't need the constraints that God has placed on us. Again, this is still a problem in the church today. I see it in two ways. There are many today who say we don't need church the heart can love that you know why because I don't have authority over me I don't have to do it God's way 
Even though Christ says, I give to you my earthly shepherds to watch and care for your souls. And the heart says, no, I don't need it. And I know some will say, yes, but pastor, I've been under some earthly shepherds who have created havoc in my life. Yes, that happens. You know why? Because even these men of faith are weak. And they fail. That doesn't give us the right to change the will of God for us. But I also see the other side. The Gideons out there who seek to gain a following. And they do it with a more lenient gospel. It's more popular. Man, I love this guy. He's so motivational to my soul because he doesn't present God in a hard way. No, but he's contradicting God's word. He's compromising the glorious work of Jesus Christ in saving people from their sins. And whether you realize it or not, he is presenting a gospel that is less than the gospel. That God has worked through his son. And you know these people? They come and they divide the people of God. As this Gideon did here. People were now coming to his shrine. And not the tabernacle. We are warned in scripture. To beware of those seeds of idolatry found in men who want a following and are willing to divide God's people to get it. What does scripture call them? What does Jesus call them? Wolves. They're not there to help the sheep. They're there to consume them. We can get caught up in that idolatry because popular is cool, isn't it? And the last thing, and you see this, in the last part of it, Gideon was enticed and ensnared, not just with success and popularity, but with lavishness. <laughs> it's so interesting how this portion ends with Gideon describing his home, 70 sons, many wives, a concubine. Wow. <laughs> I know it reminds us somewhat of Solomon, doesn't it? Why did he have all of this? Well, he just got the wealth of all the camels and all the 135,000, no, double that, 270,000 ears could hold. <laughs> and he spent it in a way that showed the lavish nature of his home. You know, being blessed is one thing. And I don't want to say that having the blessing of wealth is wrong. But reflecting such an ostentatious lifestyle where you live like the secular kings that are around you, as Gideon did, is wrong. And I would label this, in keeping with the sentiment, with success there was a misuse of authority with popularity, there was pretentious authority. With lavishness, there's an abuse of authority. 
materialism brings oftentimes double standards. Because the thing that we're left with from the life of Gideon, we're not left with any understanding that Gideon used what he was blessed with to promote a spiritual and moral reform in Israel. We don't see any of that, do we? We see a man who builds for himself a lavish empire where he can enjoy life to the end of his days. But there is no lasting deep advances in the spiritual life of Israel. Quite the opposite. He dies and what do we hear? Israel forgets God. (laughs) Empire building. And what Gideon did not do was he did not preserve the purity of the worship of God, but gave himself over to his appetites, and Israel followed suit. My friends, did we not hear that this morning when we read that time of covenant renewal from 1 Timothy 6? It's why I read it. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, And a snare. And into many foolish and harmful lusts. Which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. From which some have strayed from the faith. In their greediness. And pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now those words stand in contradistinction to the call of the Christian life. With Godly, uh, sorry, godliness with what? Contentment is gain. Look at your life. Materialism is a very enticing thing that enables the heart, becomes a snare to the heart in making idols out of the things that we possess. And we will often in our lives be more concerned about that which will make money for us than we are about the worship of God. My friends, that is something that affects all of us that we have to guard ourselves desperately against. Idolatry doesn't spring up out of the blue. It rises from a heart That is not content in God. It rises from a heart that wants something other than the purity of holiness and life in Christ. That's why Paul goes on to write in in 1 Timothy 6, You, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Again, I'm not saying work and employment is wrong. I'm not saying that the attainment of wealth is wrong. Money itself is not what is evil. But it's when the heart gets attached to it. We love it. You remember the words of Jesus. We are not capable. No man is able to love God And to love money. We can't do it. You will end up hating one. And loving the other. And serving one. 
and forgetting the other. You know what's amazing when we read this of Gideon, and I know I haven't presented a very pretty picture of this man of God. But that's the amazing thing, isn't it? Is that when we come to the New Testament and we read of Gideon, what do we read? He's a man of faith. Man of faith who didn't end well. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 that each one of us must be guarded on how we build on the foundation of the gospel that's been established in our lives. Now there he uses the things that will last, gold, silver, precious stones. That if we take what is most precious, the things that are the treasures of heaven, and we build our lives on the gospel with the things that matter most, which Paul tells us is things like righteousness, godliness, and patience, and peace, and gentleness, and love, and faith. And we're a wise builder. But if we use the things of this world to build our lives on the gospel, that prosperity gospel that's out there today, one of the most wicked things. My friends, you should read some of the tales of missionaries in places like South America and Africa and Asia where that prosperity gospel has gotten into the churches in those places and it's impoverishing godly people as, shall we say, pretentious men of faith grow in their wealth. When we look at Gideon, we're left with this challenge to our own hearts to check where you are with the Lord Jesus. You have faith. I look out here and I know you all have faith. How are you building on that? Are you caught up in that success, that popularity and lavishness of the world? Or are you looking the fruit of the Spirit that Christ has established in your life by his gospel and learning that contentment that shows a life pursuing godliness. Don't kid yourself. You can't do both. But you can receive from God the blessings he gives of a heart that is devoted to his kingdom and his righteousness. And my friends, that's the call to us. Pursue his kingdom. Seek his kingdom and righteousness. God will take care of the rest. Let us pray.